you. We help you discover your many layers. You feel you cry, you wake up, with fresh eyes. Question life, question humanity, question society, but most of all, question yourself. Welcome, Chantelle, to the podcast. Uh, would you be able to kick us off with a little self-introduction? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, first off. Um, in my language, we say tanse to say hello, and that is Cree. I am Cree Anishinaabe and Métis from Muscat Lake Cree Nation in Saskatchewan, which is in Canada. Uh, but I live in Mohkinstis, which is better known as Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. Um, and I am a traditional Indigenous drummer, singer, storyteller, um, artist, uh, and a teacher and educator, as well as a knowledge keeper. So I share um, ceremony, I share culture, I share uh, beautiful forms of art, um, and our connection to the earth through each other. This is a lot of stuff to unpack. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> a lot. <laughs> the curious thing is, how does your week look? What do you do in a week? Oh my gosh, my weeks are usually quite crazy. Um, so I'll usually wake up, make sure my kids are off to school. Uh, and oftentimes during the day, I'm at uh, either schools or universities teaching throughout the day. Um, whether that be teaching drumming, uh, singing, storytelling. Sometimes I do traditional medicine wheel teachings, which is talking about some of the sacred medicines of the land and how they connect to different parts of our being. I also talk a lot about the science behind them in classrooms. Um, I do art making with classrooms, um, like traditional art. But it's funny because in our languages, we actually never really had a word for art. It was just our way of being, our way of doing. So, for example, something like creating a drum. We're not just creating a drum, we're creating a tool, whether it be for ceremony, whether it be for community building, uh, whether it be for just our own journeys. And there's so many aspects within that drum. So you're not just creating an item, you're creating um, a connection and a spirit. It has a voice, it has a life. Uh, and explaining those things in schools has just been such a gift. Um, and then usually in my evenings uh, and on weekends, <laughs> I'm often um, either organizing rallies, marches, um, and demonstrations, uh, just because I am an activist as well. That is a big, big part of my life. Uh, or I'm helping other people, you know, support um, and advocate for their communities or for their families or for really important issues. Uh, as an Indigenous woman, I think it's my responsibility. We have a responsibility to be the caretakers of the earth. That has always been something in, that's been intrinsic to our culture. And so to be able to share those things, not only on, um, you know, from a demonstration standpoint, from like creating protests and rallies. I don't really like the word protests because we're not, you shouldn't be against anything. We should be for something. Because as soon as you're against something, that's highlighting the thing that you don't want. Whereas we should be for something, because then we're highlighting the things that we do want. We do want Mother Earth to be honored and valued and respected. We do want traditional knowledge to be held in high esteem, because we're starting to find that a lot of it has value. It has, you know, um, like it, everything's based in science, which... It's always funny whenever science proves things we've done for thousands of years because it makes me look really smart. <laughs> but um, it's also just acknowledging the relationships that we need to have with each other yeah. and with the earth. We forget that the earth is a living, breathing entity. It's part of us. And without her, we wouldn't survive. But without us, she'd be fine. So we need to stop living infinitely on a finite world. We need to actually just go back to those traditional ways of acknowledging and being thankful and grateful for the land that we walk on, being thankful for the teachings that are held within the animals, within the plants. Uh, and so I'm 
very privileged that I get to share those, not only in schools, not only in the front lines of different rallies and demonstrations, but also in community organizations. Uh, I work with um, all age groups from pre-K all the way up through university to in seniors' homes. I go and teach in seniors' homes uh, and share in seniors' homes to things like you know, corporate events, they say, okay, come in and sing a song. And I'm like, okay, but you're going to get educated at the same time. Um, and I think that was always our goal. How do you do that though? Like, okay, you're going to sing a song, but you're going to educate them at the same time. How do you go about doing it? Because I mean, I think what I love about you is that there is so much indigenous wisdom in the work that you do and it comes out, you know, be it like a drumming exercise that you did with us or through other different kinds of conversations, but it's, um, like for the longest time, a lot of us in this generation, kind of, you know, the, the many generations that's living now, know the way of life as capitalism, you know, the very transactional way of being and, you know, a lot of that is colonial. But how do you allow, how do you allow people a space to step out of that, to see a different way of living, a different way of symbiosis with nature and the ecosystem around us? Like, how do you teach that? I think a lot of it is just introductions, introductions of songs, introductions to where you are. Um, in Canada, we're really present with doing land acknowledgements a lot of the time. But I also work with organizations who um, have a land acknowledgement, but it's just empty words. And we want, we don't want empty words. We want actual recognition of that history, but also recognition of the relationships that we need to heal and rebuild. And I come in and I do just a quick little land acknowledgement saying, I want you to be present. I want you to think of this land. I want you to think of the buffalo that used to run across thousands, millions, billions of buffalo and how they're not here anymore. And how that was an act of genocide, not only of the buffalo, but of the traditional indigenous way of life. And I want you to think of your ancestors and what did they bring with them? What did they give to the land? What did they take from the land? If they didn't give more than they took, well, let's start giving. Let's start building. And then uh, I talk about the Cree Welcome Song. And I can definitely share that if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the Cree Welcome Song is something... I always do that to open events because it's such a beautiful way to bring people together, to bring people into the circle. Uh, traditionally, when we sing songs, we sing in rounds of four, under the four directions of the medicine wheel, which I talk about quite a bit. But uh, the Cree Welcome Song, we sing in rounds of three, and that's to keep the circle open and welcoming so everyone completes the circle today. Because in a circle, we're all connected. There's no beginning, there's no end, no one is greater or less than anyone else in the circle, just like in the hoop of life. So it teaches us to honor each other for those differences. Because if everybody was exactly the same, the world would be incredibly boring. Nothing would ever get done. We wouldn't be where we're at. And so it really teaches us to come to the circle without judgment, and to not compare ourselves to others, to stop othering each other, but really to recognize who we are as a whole in that circle and how connected we are. And Mia Sin uh, is from the Natahau family, from Sturgeon Lake Cree Nation. And I'm always so thankful for that family for passing this song on and for keeping the song alive. Because for many generations in um, Canada and in the States, it was illegal for First Nations people, um, Inuit people, Métis people, uh, to be themselves, to share their culture, to share their history, to pick their traditional medicines, to hunt in a traditional way. Um, to practice any of our ceremonies, to really be ourselves. It was illegal. We would literally go to jail for holding a ceremony. 
we would go to jail for you know protecting our children from being taken to away to residential school uh, and it was a huge act not only of physical genocide but cultural genocide and because of the families like the Nataha family we still have these beautiful teachings we still have the beautiful medicine we still have these beautiful ceremonies and so when I sing this song it's really about honoring that full circle to recognize that we are coming back to a place where we can balance these things but we have to be able to build relationships to do it and Mia Sin it doesn't just mean welcome, although it does welcome in all of our ancestors. It also means beautiful. so breathtaking whenever you sing and you're so in the moment like feeling the song and the lyrics and the tune of it we are kind of recording it in person in Oslo in a public library and you're stuck in a telephone sort of room and people are just sort of like looking in as you were singing <laughs> they're probably really curious like oh what's that going on there <laughs> I want to bring us back to buffaloes because I think buffaloes it's uh, they carry they like a pretty significant sort of importance in our culture and I want to highlight um, what is the relationship um, that your people have to the land what is the what are the roles and responsibilities that your people have to the land and to try and highlight a little bit of um, what what it could mean for civilization and the relationship that we would have to earth well a lot of the time our teachings are about being present about um, honoring being thankful being grateful recognizing that all life um, has meaning has significance it's not about a tiered system we're not above or below creation we're part of it and the buffalo um, had 
given us its body. There's a story of how the buffalo helped us survive through our, some of our first winters before we received fire. Of um, by how, just how did they do that? Hmm? How did the buffaloes do that? Well, we have a lot of stories, but the buffalo basically when. Um, in one of our traditional stories, when we were first created, because we're the two-leggeds, uh, and we didn't really have much knowledge, and we kept learning things from the animals and from the plants, um, and we it was pretty warm for a really long time. It was really warm. Uh, and then all of a sudden the wind started to change, and it started to get cold, and there's a spirit in Cree. His name was Wasakajak, and Wasakajak went to Creator, um, and was like, creator, the two-legged, they're freezing. They don't have fur like some of the other animals. They don't hibernate in the winter like the other animals. They don't live underground to stay warm like the other animals. They don't live in caves. Um, they're just so exposed, and they're freezing to death. We have to do something to save them, because uh, there was something very sacred and very special about the two-legged, because they were molded and shaped after creator and after many of the spirits. Um, and so creator said, okay, well, go get the buffalo, and we'll see if the buffalo could come up with a solution. And so the buffalo came and heard the situation and said, well, I'm going to offer my body to the two-legged, because they could dry my meat and eat it throughout the winter so they won't starve, because, of course, Plants don't grow in the winter, so we couldn't eat those. Um, but also, they could use my skin so that they could, um, you know, scrape off the back, dry it in the sun, and use the fur to stay warm. Uh, but also, they could use the canvas. So if they stretch out, if we stretch out fur, our all of the skin, we can create a canvas to create a teepee, which was our first home. And so uh, the buffalo came to us. He taught us how to use his flesh. He taught us how to use his skin. He taught us how to use the different parts of his very being so nothing would ever go to waste. Um, because we always want to make sure that every part of our being is being utilized. Every part of our buffalo is being utilized and nothing goes to waste. Uh, because it disrespects even that little bit of life and we never want to disrespect life. And so the buffalo saved us. It helped us survive through the winter. It helped us to eat through the winter, um, but also throughout the year. Um, and we always took a buffalo from the land with respect. We never took anything more than what we needed because they have taught us how to live on the land. The buffalo teach us how to harvest our medicines. The buffalo always leaves the roots of the plant in the ground. And they teach us to do that same. So if we're harvesting medicine, if we're harvesting food, always leave the plants roots in the ground so it grows back and um, the buffalo also is very cognizant of where it steps it never tramples plants it always walks in between and it teaches us how to walk on the land too so if you're looking down if you're ever hiking whether it be in the mountains or across the field if you look down there's always places for you to put your feet and the buffalo taught us how to walk as one with the earth the buffalo also knew that if it took more than what it needed from the earth, well, a, <laughs> a fat buffalo is a slow buffalo, it's a dead buffalo, so that's one. But also, if it took more from the earth, then somebody else would be without. Or the next time you came through that area, there would be nothing for you. And so it was really about um, not only preserving yourself, but preserving everything um, for future generations. It was recognizing that by doing that, but also about honoring reciprocal relationships with the earth, so the buffalo always gives back to the earth as it's taking. The saliva from the buffalo helps plants grow back faster. It acts as a pesticide around plants. And so it's incredible that some one animal can teach us so much. 
but it's like that all animals can teach us so much and I feel like now because we're not honoring and respecting those relationships we're not honoring and respecting you know the teachings of each and every one of those animals we're losing mm. that knowledge mm. every time an animal goes extinct it breaks my heart because mm. that's knowledge that we will never get to learn never never get to continue on um, and we need to realize that it's not about us it's about everyone everyone in Cree we say all my relations all my relations means we're related not just to each other as two leggeds as people but to everything everyone from the smallest blade of grass to the highest soaring eagle we are all connected uh, we all breathe together the plants we have a relationship a reciprocal relationship with them when we exhale they inhale and vice versa so to think that we don't have a relationship well that's just short-sighted and we are missing so much beauty in the world if we don't take the time to listen to it it's such a deep appreciation for all the living beings and the ecosystem um, and I want to kind of just talk about transitions because, you know, we, we live in a world of um, scarcity where, you know, everyone feels like there's not enough or, you know, like the relationship with money is actually really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So if we were to transition to a different kind of society that also honors this indigenous wisdom and philosophy, what would that look? Um, I mean, it would definitely look more balanced. Right now we have this disparity between like the haves and the have-nots like there's so much disparity and it's because people are so afraid to lose that they're afraid to give and I know that within my own life I, I went through that and I was just like I was so terrified and I hit this breaking point of extreme poverty with my children because I have I have two kids uh, well at the time I had two kids now I have four <laughs> but um, I had a moment where I'm like you know I was trying to just hold on to wealth and wealth is funny because the more you hold on to that more the more it slips through your fingers um, and the more relationships slip through your fingers so it's recognizing that money is a construct it's a colonial construct and what actually feeds us and shows us value and we don't have to buy it is relationship um, I think if we start to just pull back the structures that have been in place for so long, those very colonial structures, and start to go back to that truly uh, relationship-building way of connecting to the earth, start looking at local economies again. You know, um, I do trade because I think that's such an important uh, and invaluable resource. So if somebody wants to make a drum with me, I'm like, okay, uh, well, if this person's a massage therapist, so we trade massage for uh, drums, like, uh, or I'll go into... Like a gift economy, without, without using the physical money. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I think if we can shift things, um, we could definitely make that work. But I think also we need to look at local economies, first and foremost. So um, I am on a, a board, I'm a board member for uh, Arusha in Calgary, and we focus on local economy, we focus on green initiatives, we focus on social justice. Um, we have one of the oldest currencies, uh, local currencies, in the world outside of Amsterdam, uh, which is Calgary dollars, and not a lot of people know that. We have a lot of really weird pockets of awesome in Calgary. It's strange, uh, considering we have such a conservative government, which is awful. But um, it's interesting how 
to see those little pockets and how they can thrive. And so Calgary Dollars has transitioned into um, some low-income housing units, and we're seeing how this trade economy is working between the people who all live in these apartments. Um, in so somebody is really good at baking bread, or somebody can watch other people's children, or somebody is an amazing gardener and has like lettuce and tomatoes that she's grown on her deck, you know. And it's really incredible to see how they're starting to just come together and trade all of these services. And no, you might not need childcare, but you can make bread. And know that person who you know offers. Um, tomatoes well she needs childcare, so you do a three-way swap and so it's really interesting that we're seeing these little microcosms of that community building again and I, yeah and that's through local economies right so what you're saying is that instead of using money as that medium for transactions it's actually using this sort of exchanges to build relationships mm-hmm. and to strengthen the sort of relationships within that ecosystem Definitely. we talk a lot about GDP these days and it's always like right uh, the economy needs to do well, we need to, you know, have more GDP uh, income or whatever, whatever, whatever. But GDPs didn't exist back then um, in, you know, indigenous traditions. And how, how did societies function? You know, what was it? Was there sort of some sort of indicator of what is like uh, uh, something that's healthy for, for the society? What was it like uh, in, the, in the past? Well, we took care of each other. That was mm. a big thing. Like, um, if you see somebody struggling, we'll go and help them. No, don't don't worry about it. Don't worry. Uh, like, what am I going to get from this? Just give. I think um, being giving and understanding that the way that the world works, it's it's reciprocal. So as you're giving energy, it's going to come back to you in a different way. You know, as you're helping one person, well, later on, somebody else is going to be there to help you. And it's not about expecting things in return. It's just knowing that the more people who are giving in the world. Well, the more that's going to just grow, it's going to expand. Um, and we had very matriarchal societies. So the women were the ones in charge. Um, but it wasn't that they were in charge, because it wasn't about power. It was about making sure that everybody was taken care of and nobody got left behind. It was making sure that you were able to make those connections and those relationships for people who needed each other and for things that needed to be done. Um, and we didn't have a hierarchy. Because hierarchies are so dangerous. You know, I have more money than I'm better than you. No, you're an asshole. You're not better than me. So, you know, you're not better than anyone. We're not, like, better or worse than anyone else. We are all connected. Uh, and it's it's just kind of almost a sickness in our society to compare ourselves to others, you know, to judge other people. You were sharing with us um, that every Indigenous person sort of has a rite of passage where, you know, you get to adulthood and... You find out for yourself in that process, like, what is the role that you're going to play um, in that culture, in that society, and and that you, there's a period of time where um, you, you go out to the wild, yes. <laughs> and you figure out things on your own, and like nobody contacts or like talks to you for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Could you share a little more? Oh, about yeah, the coming of age ceremony. So um, our youth, so once you turn 12, you're on your path to becoming an adult, right? So a man or a woman or a two-spirit person. Um, and in in our societies, like we had different amounts of genders. So in some Cree uh, societies, we had seven genders. Some we have like up to thirteen genders. Um, so it's not about like a masculine or feminine role. It's what role is your gift and what are you going to share. But with our teenagers, sometimes they get it gets lost in the shuffle. And I think that's that's still true. It's always been the thing with um, 
teenagers because they're trying to find out, well, who am I going to be? How am I going to share? What am I going to do? Um, and what is my gift? What is my path? And so what we do is we literally put them out on the land and let them sit in silence for, you know, whether it be a week, whether it be a month, whether it be all summer, uh, and we'll do ceremony with them. But with our youth, they're bombarded with who they should be, you know, whether it be from their parents or their family or their friends or school or work, and now it's social media. It's, it's overwhelming because there's all of these different things telling you who to be, what to look like, how to act. But at the end of the day, the only person you have to live with for your whole life is yourself. And so by putting our teenagers out on the land and saying, go figure it out, they have to sit in nature. They have to understand the relationship that nature not only has to them, but that they have to nature. That nature has a relationship with each other. And so you get to watch firsthand how it works. You get to see all that reciprocal, um, you know, those activities around you. But also you see that in nature, everything has a purpose. Sometimes they have multiple purposes. But as you're watching them, you're like, okay, well, what's my purpose? And then you have to really delve into, you know, whether you call it meditation or, um, you know, spiritual guidance, we call it vision quests as well, uh, to really discover your path and how you are going to share your best self with the world. Um, and when we go to visit our teenagers, we, of course, bring them, like, food. We just make sure that they're, they're okay, they're healthy, they're taken care of. But we don't speak to them because we don't want our voice to overshadow their voice. And so in that silence, they can start to discover who they are. We'll come to ceremony. So they'll come to a sweat lodge, which is just basically like a super hot sauna in, in the dark. Um, and we'll drum and we'll sing, but we won't speak throughout that ceremony. There's drumming, there's singing, there's rattling. Um, and then after, they just go back onto the land. And so they don't hear words of anyone but themselves and but the animals for however long. And so by the time they come out of that, they're really, they know more about themselves and they know more about the path, their path. I think we need to do that more often mm. because if we don't, if we don't discover our own path, well then we have, you know, midlife crises and I'm pretty sure that's what sports cars are all about. Mm. <laughs> and how could, um, how could different institutions, organizations, or even governments work with indigenous people? Well, I think that's, um, <laughs> That's a little bit of an issue because the reason that governments exist is because of the colonization and genocide of indigenous mm -hmm. people. The reason um, some of the standardized education exists is because of the colonization and genocide of indigenous people. So when they say, let's work together, well, we already have a lot of trauma that's involved with those systems themselves. And so if we truly want to uh, have indigenous voices at the table, um, and actually see the changes happen, we need to break down that into that colonized system. We need to look at um, that history and we need to rebuild it from the ground up. And I know a lot of people think that's scary, especially when it comes to governments. Like, how can we rebuild a government from the ground up? What would that look like? Uh, well, tearing it down and going back to the traditional um, treaties that were signed. And so in the treaties, specifically in Canada, I don't know much about the ones around the world, but I'd love to learn because I think that's brilliant. Um, in Canada, when the first treaties were signed, they were peace treaties. And in them, it was about taking care of each other. Because had it not been for the Indigenous people, I mean, all of the settlers would have died 
like fresh off the boat they were they came to our shores they were dying of like scurvy and mad amounts of like uh, dehydration and um, different vitamin deficiencies and they were starving and they got off the boat and were like oof you guys are in rough shape have some tea because <laughs> we had medicinal tea that could solve those issues right and so we helped them survive we didn't ask for anything in return we just wanted to do something to help uh, and that mentality was not taken in it was just like oh well, these people are going to give us stuff how much stuff could we give mm -hmm. and so that's I think where the problem started we tried to s sign treaties and in our treaties we were honest we were forthright we we're like yeah let's work together let's live online let's share knowledge let's share education let's share health care you know let's take care of each other's children let's take care you know and from an indigenous perspective that's what we've always done we've always taken care of each other you know a newcomer comes in and as long as um they're being kind and respectful and not hurting anyone of course you're welcome to our community um but now there seems to be like a lot of um, trepidation just because of that pain, just because of that hurt, just because of the trauma and the genocide we've all gone through. And, um, and unfortunately, we continue to go through because those systems are in place. But within the treaty, it was just about coming together and both our voices being equal at the table. That's what a treaty was. It was a promise. It was a promise to take care of each other, a promise to take care of our future generations, to take care of the land, um, and understand each other's teachings. I think with you know westernized, if you want to call it that, um, medical systems, they don't see the value in indigenous knowledge until they prove it with science, mm. which of course, again, makes me literally smart. Mm. So, <laughs> but uh, it's the same thing with education. They don't mm. see the value in the way that indigenous people educate our children. They're like, well, you're going out and you're just playing on the land with them. I'm like, yes, but the land teaches us so much, so much more. So it's really about, if you want to call it experiential, mm -hmm. right? like it, actually living it. Um, and in the systems where we're told what to think and what to do, the actual living it, I mean, how do you explain that? You can't. Mm -hmm. um, the colonized system just wants to put labels on everything, I find. And so it's very difficult to get out of like an education system that just wants to label everything mm. when we try and dial it back and go back to the indigenous system, which is about experiencing everything. Right. You don't have to explain or label mm. an emotion in that moment you're feeling it. And looking for that label is going to take you out of that moment. Um, when you're experiencing and learning from all of these plants and animals around you, well, if you start labeling it, it takes you out of the relationship that you're building with that plant. Right. It's just, well, it's othering, right? Mm. As soon as you label something as other than you, that's where that conflict begins. And so, um, we have a long journey to go back, but I think it's a necessary journey. Mm. Because that disconnection from the earth, that disconnection from each other, that's what got, that's what's put us in the mess that we're in now. Mother Earth has a fever, and she's trying to shake us off her back. Mm. Unless we learn how to work together and fix it and repair that connection to each other and the deep connection to the Earth. Because that's the only way that we can get through this. So what this transition to a system change could look like would be, you know, things like setting up alternative schools, universities, alternative ways of governance, different experiments, um, bringing back indigenous models and ways of doing things, and... Not having like a one-size-fits-all, like everyone has to go through the same system, but setting up alternatives and 
equally respecting each different alternatives. Well, I think the number one thing is getting out of this extraction and commodification Mm -hmm. of life, Mm -hmm. of nature, of the very being of our planet. We have to stop commodifying her and stop uh, and start appreciating her. I I know if my podcast with this question to everyone, which is that if someone can do one thing to create change in this world, what would it be? And I'm asking this at this point now because I think it's uh, it's a good transition because uh, it's these concepts are big and it's difficult. It could be difficult to grasp. And what does that mean for the everyday individual? Um, what is the thing that they can do to create that? that shift because I mean system change starts from personal transformation right mm-hmm. so what is the transformation that we can take on embark on um, to create that shift from ourselves first and to me it's been relationship mm-hmm. and sharing uh, so stories they intrinsically connect us when you hear someone's stories and someone's experiences it will shape and change you you'll relate to it automatically um, when we look at the way that uh, our school system is, it's you're being told what to think, you're being told what to do, but you're not being told through a story. You're being told through facts and figures, and most children don't learn that way. Most people don't learn that way. But as soon as we sit in a room with someone who's been going through you know, extreme poverty or you know, extreme climate change or seeing it firsthand, or um, we're those people that might seem so different from us. When we sit and we share stories, we realize how exactly how similar we are um, and relationship and story is I think our way back you know one relationship at a time one relationship every day uh, I make the effort to at least meet one new person a day mm. because I think that is such a brilliant and beautiful way to connect and to know that we're not alone mm. um, I think a lot of time we feel very siloed in the work mm. that we're doing but when we meet more and more people, when we share those conversations, when we have, you know, whether it be sitting down for tea with someone we just met or just having a brief five-minute conversation, you know, on, a, on the subway, uh, it's incredible the way that our eyes and our minds and our hearts can open up. But it's also finding that balance and living the life that you want to see in the world. Mm. So take the courage to talk to the person that you don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> but we'd love to know. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so very welcome. Thank you for having me. Hello, Top listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, it would really help if you can leave a review on iTunes or like us on Facebook. Otherwise, subscribe and share with people whom you think will enjoy this. Special thanks to Andrea for the music. Catch you next episode.